0: pick up where we left off um we were going through the the bible uh from genesis on through and we kind of left off with king david and i don't know david i think we kind of left off at some points with david with um kind of a mixed tone it was kind of positive and kind of negative there was some good and then there was some like some sour Mm -hmm. i think um he did so
1: many things so so right so well and then he messed up in a big way, and that kind of caused a lot of long-lasting, disastrous consequences and implications, uh, but then God still was, you know, faithful to um, to him and redeemed him, and continued to bless him and his family. Um, it does seem like a long time ago we, we went through that story, uh, partly because we've spent a few weeks, you know, talking about the kingdom of God and being on mission, but also just every, anything that happened before COVID-19 seems like another lifetime away already. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to kind of pick up in the, in the old Testament narrative. So we left off towards the end of second Samuel, um, and towards the end of David's life. So we're, we're going to pick up in first Kings, um, and ta- start talking about David's one of David's son, um, Solomon is kind of the considered the good one, right? The good son.
0: I guess so. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a, you don't want to like say good, bad, you know, better, best kind of thing, but yeah, he was. Um, (laughs) And and if you remember anything about David's uh, relationships at this time, he had, he had wives, um, but he took Bathsheba from a married man, um, got her pregnant, killed her husband and then married her. And the child that was born from that uh, relationship, God took the life of that child as punishment. And it's the next child that David and Bathsheba had that was named Solomon. Um, And, you know, David had other sons and those sons tried to take his throne. Some of them killed each other. Uh, It was a mess. I mean, David, basically, the way I look at it is David wrecked a household when he took Bathsheba. And God punished David by wrecking his household. And and you read about this in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Um, But I think the important thing, one of the important things that we have to understand is that even though God punished David and God does punish for sin, even though God punished uh, David, God's punishment did not negate God's promises. Um, He didn't stop. He didn't take back his promise to David and he didn't take back any of his promises to the nation Israel, even though he chose to punish them. Um, So in the book of first Kings, um, there's this uh, there's going to be some family tension that takes place and it's going to be between Adonijah and Solomon and it's going to be about the throne because we're at the end of David's life. Um, and Adonijah wants the throne and David had promised the throne to Solomon. And we have this situation where there's going to be this tension. And what I love about this, this story and the verses, is it shows really the I think it shows the grace of God, you know, David sinned and he was punished for that, but David repented and God, God followed through with the punishment and then followed up with grace, because mm. God gave David and Bathsheba a son that would be a great king. And not just not just a king, but a great king. And God chose to bless Solomon, who was a son born out of that original bad relationship. So it's it's one of those things where you, you look at it and you're like, you know, you, you would say, well, God could never bless that because it was it was a wrong relationship in the first place. And yet we see that God's grace is is shown you know there's and i think this is the way god approaches us and our sin too you know we're reminded that all of us have sinned but when we confess our sins you know the scriptures say that god removes our sins as far as the east is from the west and that he remembers them no more and that when we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness some verses you can check out are isaiah 43 25 psalm 103 12 first 1 john 1 9 maybe david can paste those up yeah, in the chat got it. um and and while we might be punished we can be restored and while we might have a while we might have a hard time getting over our past um god wipes it clean and does not bring it back up so even david having that awful relationship with bathsheba um and doing and murdering her husband Yes, God punished him, but God also still blessed David from that point on, um, as well as punishing him. There was a blessing and a punishment. And then God showed the blessing to Solomon.
1: And because of Christ taking the ultimate punishment for us, we don't have to suffer the actual consequences we deserve, though we still may have some consequences, the natural consequences of our actions God will allow us to experience on earth. Um, He has, you know, he's taken that ultimate punishment for us which is awesome uh, but if we want to understand how how this story shows the grace of god and and the fullness fullness of that we want to also understand the big picture uh when we we're getting to first kings and the life of solomon there's a few themes that we want to bring up um, that show the faithfulness of god but also tracking that through the context of the the bigger picture, the the overall uh, narrative. And we've covered a lot of ground over the last what year, a couple of years. So we just want to back up uh, really quickly um, and remember, you know, what's, what's led up to this point of, of Solomon. Uh, So remember just going back to the very beginning, God creating humans as his emissaries on earth with this purpose of, ruling the earth as representatives of him representing God and being in a loving relationship with God and with each other and God put these first humans Adam and Eve in this bountiful beautiful ideal garden and they shared that garden with the very presence of God himself so he placed them in that place and dwelled with them in that place however The humans, of course, they rebelled against God, which then got them kicked out of the garden and into this kind of harsh and chaotic world and living this life that was now tarnished by sin. So they faced violence and pain, destruction and death. And as the humans then multiplied, they got worse and worse. And they ended up really trying to become, in some ways, gods themselves. They wanted to take for themselves Um, that feeling of of, uh, self-control and control over their lives and and doing what they thought was good and bad in their eyes, Um, rather than seeking God's presence and his rule in their lives. And then Fast forwarding, you know, thousands of years when we get to Solomon, who God has appointed king over Israel, there's there's a lot of backstory leading up to that. So there's a lot that's happened between you know Adam and Eve in the garden and Solomon, and we get a reminder of that when we read through genealogies. That are genealogies are kind of some of the more boring parts of the Bible to read, Uh, but they're there for a reason. And one thing that's cool about them is they do remind us of all these these backstories. So we. There's one um, really important genealogy found in the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter one, verses two through six. Um, And so this is just part of the genealogy uh, up to Solomon. Uh, It says, Abraham. Hey,
0: David. Hey, David. I found the solution for everybody that struggles reading the names in the Bible. Oh, really? So, yeah, so Microsoft Word will read them for you. <laughs> do you want to, uh do you
1: want to try doing that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I have to like share my screen or something to get the computer audio or something like that. Um let's see if I can do that. I want you to actually I want you guys to experience this. You can share the this welcome will make you feel...
1: share the welcome screen and then then play the audio from Word. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing this.
0: No, this yeah, is I great. Say, just, I just know the audio bible this. works, but <laughs> No, no, this is great. This is this is this will make you feel better about every time that you read by, names in the Bible and it doesn't quite come out the way that you want. So here you go. This is Microsoft Word reading the Bible to you. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Purus and Zerah by Tamar, Puraz fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Ammonadab, Ammonadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. So was how was that. That was bad. horrible, wasn't it? <laughs> there were a
1: couple, amenadab. <laughs> uh, yeah, he got most of them right, though.
0: That I felt close. like I was playing Mad Gab with your family, David. <laughs> at that point. Um...
1: Uh, here, let's. Well, I don't. I'll, I don't. I'm gonna paste go that ahead. in in case any anyone didn't quite catch what all the names were. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And, and you said that genealogies are one of the more, you know, boring parts of scripture, but there's a lot of names and a lot of stories, backstories packed into those names. Like even the ones in that list, why they're picked, uh, you know, the fact that you have uh, Rahab po- um, listed in there, the fact that you have um, Boaz and Ruth, which is another story that we have there. There's, uh, Tamar is is interesting that she's mentioned in there. We didn't get into that story really, Um, but there's some great stories. There's some great backstories in there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, there's just seeing that list of names. It's packed with all those stories that are attached to those names. Um, And even though you know God, as we saw in the story of of Noah, He God knew and knows that humans would just always be wicked and rebellious, but He still wanted to bless and, and care. People, which is why he saved no one in his family, and then why he called this one man that the um, genealogy starts with Abraham or Abram and then was changed to Abraham to be this seed who would then become a really large family, a whole nation that was chosen by God to represent him to the rest of the world. And uh, God made some promises to Abraham. He said he would make his name great. He would bless him and that through him, all the people, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. Um, and one of those promises happened while Abraham was, was traveling under God's guidance and leadership. And that's in Genesis chapter 12, verses four
0: through eight. It says, so Abraham we'll read one, that like the human reading this. Yeah. Time, yeah. Let's not those, do the you know, word
1: question. version this time. <laughs> Uh, Abram went, is still called Abram at this time, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. He built an altar there to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord.
0: Yeah, so God promised Abraham the land of Canaan. And, and this is in the very beginning. Um, and they referred to this because it was a, something that God had promised. This is how it got its name, the promised land. And God reminded Abraham of this promise several times. Uh, Abraham had Isaac, who had Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Israel and his family ended up in Egypt, if you remember the story. That's not the promised land. Um, they ended up there because of a famine. And... Um, They were there for about 400 years. While they were there, they started out there in the good graces of Pharaoh. And by the time they they change leadership and they become slaves, they're led out of bondage in Egypt by Moses to the wilderness for four years, still not the promised land. And then under the leadership of Joshua, they crossed the Jordan River and conquered their first city, Jericho which was the first conquest of the land that God promised Abraham. So they've gone hundreds of years now from that promise to get back to the land at that point and finally start conquering the land and taking control of it. Hmm. Um, and, and the, they were, they were given some specific commands, like you need to wipe out all of your enemies. You need to totally take them out. Don't leave any, you know, anybody behind. And, um, they, they didn't do that very well. Um, they They did take a lot of the land from the Canaanites though. and And David, the king that we just studied, was the king that really extended and unified the kingdom. Um, and under David, the the Jerusalem was established as the city of the king and and this new capital city. Um, but by the time Solomon arrives on the scene, it appears as though the promise of God to Abraham, that Abraham would inherit the land, It looks like that promise has been fulfilled. Um, Solomon is not going to be a conquering king. That was David. He's going to reign over the already conquered kingdom in the promised land. So Solomon is like the first king who actually is, is, I guess, living the dream. He's realizing this dream. He's in the promised land, ruling in the promised land that was promised hundreds and hundreds of years before to Abraham. And and that's an important part of this theme because Israel's been looking for this day since that promise was made to uh, Abraham.
1: Mm-hmm. And the fact that that promise was even made in the first place is so significant because going back to Adam and Eve, they, <clears throat> because they were exiled from the garden, um, they no longer had a God-given place to be, to dwell and live. So the fact that God has chosen a people and is giving them land is like returning to that idea of God placing people in a place that he had prepared for them.
0: Yeah, And it was also a place that would produce a place that would have uh, bountiful abundance, not because of them, but just because God had created it that way. Like even when he Mm. talks about them entering the promised land, You know, they're going to go to a place where they didn't even work and it's going to be overflowing with with grapes and all these different things. Um, So there is that that Genesis point all the way forward with the land. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the themes that traces through Um, And Jerusalem and this promised land obviously then plays out in the New Testament with Christ and the and the events that took place in the garden and everything else um and also then goes to the end of the story in revelation so the land is one of those themes that you, that we've been tracking from the beginning all the way up to this time and solomon is entering this new phase with the land but there's another theme that we've been tracking and that's the mm-hmm. presence of god um so you have in the garden right um there was the presence of god was with Adam and Eve, they they were in the garden with God. They walked with God. They sinned, and then that was broken. Um, and we have God speaking to some people between then um, and and Abraham, but but he generally he was quiet with a lot of that. I mean, he approached Cain and said, you know, don't do this. Um, he talked to Noah and told him to build the ark. Um, but the presence of God was broken with the sin in the garden. And we've been tracking the presence of God uh, up through um, the nation Israel up to this time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So God spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And then it seemed like God went dark while Israel was in Egypt. And then God spoke to Moses and called the people out of Egypt. Um, and, and the way that God spoke to him, the, the burning, the, well, the bush that was on fire, it wasn't really burning because it didn't burn up. But the bush that was on fire, uh, God appearing in fire was very, very important. Um, but while they were in the wilderness, God settled among them. And this is the first, that was the first time that God dwelled among humans, um, since the garden. And then God gave Moses some instructions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what were special about the instructions that Moses had?
1: Yeah, well, he had instructions, like basically a blueprint that was given to him from God to build this special tent that they call the tabernacle, the traveling temple of god's presence um, and it was in in that ark was or in the tabernacle was the ark of the covenant or the ark of the presence and it symbolized um, the, the covenant relationship that god had with his people but also it it was the symbol for him dwelling among his people um, so the ark was placed in the center of their camp as they traveled and then anytime they set up camp that was like the center of their their base Uh, And once they actually entered the promised land, the Ark was placed in Shiloh. And we uh, talked about that a little bit when we talked about Samuel's story. And then it had this kind of stint with the the Philistines. The Philistines had it for a while, but then it was returned to Beth Shemesh. And then it it was in Abinadab's house um, in Kiriath-Jerim. And eventually after David established Uh, Jerusalem as the center of his rule he had the ark moved to Jerusalem of course it took took a couple tries because the first attempt failed pretty horribly Uh, but the second attempt he did it the way he was actually supposed to God's way and was successful that second time Uh, but that ark was so significant uh, whether it was in the the tabernacle or um, or in Jerusalem it symbolized God's presence being there. And he actually manifested visual and audible and, you know, sensational uh, um, experiences to show pe- the people that he was there with them. And it, all, it was all cent- centered over the the tabernacle and the ark.
0: Yeah. So going back from that Genesis narrative where they were, where God was with Adam and Eve, this is now, the people in the land with God's presence in their midst. Um, And it's like, wow. So this is like the closest that we come to the Genesis garden narrative on this earth. Um, It's, it's you have the presence of God in the midst of the people established in a land. Um, But then there's this whole thing about Kings. Um, So, I mean, that wasn't in the garden, but, it kind of was implied in the garden. Um, what, what do you do with this whole thing about the fact that Solomon's going to be a king and this idea of kingship and how it plays through uh, the scriptures? You know, God, God was the king of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, etc. After the people entered the land, they demanded a king. I mean, they didn't just say they wanted one. They demanded a king because they wanted to be like all the other nations. And their first king, he looked good. I mean, he was, he was handsome. He was tall. His, his name was Saul. I mean, sort of rapping out, rhyming that out, you know, tall Saul. But that's about all we can say about Saul. Um, he, he was a bad king. He just wasn't good at all. The second king was David. And, and David really got our hopes up that the nation would finally experience the full blessing and presence of God you know, that uh, finally there's a man after God's own heart. He's fearless. He, he trusts God hundred percent. He, you know, he conquered the, the giant and he, he, you know, just loves God and he, he honored his King even though his King was bad at trying to kill him. And so David's like, yeah, finally we're going to have a good King and he's going to do what God wants. He's going to bring the blessing and presence of God. And he fails right? He fails when he takes Bathsheba. He fails when he kills Uriah. He fails when he numbers the armies. Um, he fails when he doesn't discipline his sons the way he's supposed to. And so you're like, ah, oh, I guess that's not going to be the guy. So now we wait, Solomon. And we wonder, is Solomon going to be the one who's really going to lead the nation into wholehearted worship of God? Um, And though God was disappointed that the people wanted a person to be king instead of him, uh, he allowed it, which I think is pretty amazing. Uh, And we actually find out that God anticipated it. So maybe a little bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to talk about this, I believe, in the next couple of weeks. Um, When God gave Moses the laws, there are actually some laws regarding kings. And those laws will be significant, especially to Solomon um so that's a little bit of a spoiler alert but before they had a king god actually established some laws regarding kings and we're going to talk yeah, about that it's interesting that.
1: Um, well, one thing i'll add to that idea of kingship you said there um about the garden i think you do see that in the garden because adam and eve were meant to be rulers right it does, it does <clears throat> that word there um is pretty much the same uh, it's the the verb of what a king does. Uh so they were meant to be rulers but not over each other over creation um under God with his you know his um authority and part of the consequences of their sin was that they would want to rule over each other um which is which is interesting. So that does trace still back to the to the garden. Uh, yeah, this is out. What's that?
0: I knew you'd bring that out. (laughs) Uh,
1: But yeah, this is the the closest that we've come to that uh, idea of Eden being restored, having God among his people in a land that was chosen by God, given to the people by God. Uh, So Solomon was coming into this really um, to, hes going to be living the dream, uh, and the Israelites would be living the dream uh, under his rule. There's one more Promise that we've traced through this all, isn't there? Oh yeah. So this this promise that does, of course, again go back to the garden when the when they sinned, God placed a curse on creation, but also promised um, that there would be a Messiah who would restore things back to the way they really were, really restore things once and for all. Uh, so we thought this might have been Noah when he came on the scene but it wasn't Noah um, Abraham looked like he could maybe be the guy but it wasn't Abraham Moses got really close he really got close to representing God and in his presence but he wasn't the guy he's messed up and he wasn't even allowed to enter the promised land um, David you know we get to David he's the first really good king uh, the conquering king seems like under David that kingship is really going to work out for Israel because he's conquering all the other, uh, their enemies. Uh, But then, you know, he, and he has really qualities of the Messiah as far as being a a humble savior type of King, but then he leaves us, you know, disappointed and and wondering when will the Messiah come and and restore Eden and, and the fellowship with God that was once there.
0: Yeah, and, and this time that Solomon ruling, is ruling will become a foreshadowing and really a taste of what is yet to come. Um, it, you know, you, they're still looking for the Messiah, and so they're wondering with each leader, like even with Solomon, is he, is he the one who's going to restore things? Is, is this, and, and this idea of having a physical land, of having um, a physical king, of having the presence of God among them, Uh, becomes this physical um, picture of the kingdom of God that paints kind of a skewed perspective in the Jews regarding what the kingdom of God is. And when we we reach the New Testament, the Jews are still looking for a Messiah who will be king, who will restore them to the land and bring, bring the presence of God among the people. But they're going to be looking for that physical kingdom, much like Solomon is sitting in right now so as we're looking at this this kingdom this physical kingdom we realize that this kingdom is one that the jews have in their mind the times of david and solomon and this prosperity that they're looking for the messiah to come and to restore and to establish them in that in that way as world leaders um so i think it's important that we understand that that that's a uh, part of what's being painted here and and this rule of solomon is, is a foreshadowing of the kingdom of god but only a physical representation, not fully understanding or realizing what the kingdom of God is that the Messiah will actually teach about in so many of his teachings in the New Testament. Yeah,
1: because they're going to eventually experience um, exile. They're going to get kicked out like like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. The Israelites are going to get kicked out of their promised land. Eventually they'll experience occupation. And during all of these you know, physical, political, military events, they're going to be looking to these physical political, military um, past and history, uh, like you said. So it's very significant uh, to know that that's when they're thinking about the kingdom of God, they're thinking of the kingdom of
0: David and Solomon. Yeah. So these four themes, the land, um, the presence of God, the kingships, um, the Messiah are all themes that will continue to trace through the Bible. They're part of the DNA of the Jews, and they help us understand not only their perception of the Messiah, but also um, a little bit about who the Messiah would be and and what God's plan is. Um, So they're a a part of God's plan, and we'll eventually hear Jesus talk about these things uh, in the New Testament. When we get to the Gospels later on this year, you're going to be hearing these themes of the land, of presence, of permanent home of kingship uh, are all going to be taught by Jesus um, when he comes to this earth, so that, that's really important for us to remember, and when you read the overview, you can easily get swept away with the awesomeness of God, and the fulfilled promises, and we should, but, but as we go back to our story in Solomon, um, to the story, I'm sorry, in first king, Solomon is going to be crowned king but not without conflict. So even though it appears like Solomon is entering into the glory days, um, the beginning of his reign is really, uh, starts out with this collision of two stories. There's the promise of blessing by God to Solomon and a punishment from God on David about his family being torn. And we see that play out through um, Solomon, the son of Bathsheba versus Adonijah, the son of Haggith. Both of these men want to be the king. And where David has promised the throne to Solomon, Adonijah wants to take the throne by force and by popularity. And so if, uh, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I want you to turn to, to 1 Kings chapter 1. And we're going to read, it's a very long chapter, we're going to read the majority of it. Um, because we want you to see how, the, how this reign starts and how even though we, we seem to have the fulfillment of God's promises, we still have the condition of man um, that we're dealing with. So First Kings chapter 1. I'll start in verse 1, and then we'll jump to verse 5. Um, now, King David was old and advanced in age, And although they covered him with bedclothes, he could not get warm. So he was uh, obviously failing in his health. And in verse 5, it says, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, kept exalting himself, saying, I will be king. He prepared chariots, cavalry, and 50 men to run ahead of him. Uh, But his father had never once infuriated him by asking, why did you do that? In addition, he was quite handsome and was born after Absalom. He conspired with Joab and with the priests, and they supported Adonijah. I'm kind of skipping through some things here so we can get through it. Um, but the priests, um, the prophet, uh, and and all of David's royal guard did not side with Adonijah. So Adonijah sacrificed sheep, goats, cattle, and fattened um, cattle near the stone of Zoheleth, which is next to Enrogel, and he invited all his royal brothers. And all the men of judah the servants of the king but he did not invite the prophet nathan benaiah the royal guard or his brother solomon so you have adonijah exalting himself and i think that's one of the key phrases there he's exalting himself and saying i will be king he wants to take this over and so he conspires and he brings in joab who's the commander of, of the guard right he's the one who led israel's army uh, for David, he brings in Zadok the priest. He brings in um, uh, all sorts. Of, I'm sorry, he didn't bring in um, Zadok. I'm sorry. He uh, he brought in Abiathar the priest, um, and he brings in all these people to come and support him as king, including his brothers, except for Solomon. And uh, and he's doing this all without his father's support, and actually his father doesn't even know about it yet. I think um, it's significant. Um, so Nathan good. the priest
1: Sorry, I think it's also he doesn't include Solomon or Nathan the prophet because Nathan is like the main um, mouthpiece, the voice of God for for David and his household. Nathan is the guy who's been there um, this whole time, and he was around for um, for Saul as well. So it's like he there's one priest and a prophet that he didn't want involved with it because he probably had a feeling that they wouldn't be on board. He, he must've known that. And that was definitely intentional.
0: You think. <laughs> yes. So, so you have, um, so Nathan uh, in verse 11, well, why don't you read that part? David?
1: Uh, yeah. So first Kings one 11, then Nathan said to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has become king and our Lord David does not know it? Now please come and let me advise you. Save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go approach King David and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to your servant? Your son Solomon is to become king after me. And he is the one who is to sit on my throne. So why has Adonijah become king? At that moment, while you are still there speaking with the king, I'll come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went to the king in his bedroom. Since the king was very old, Abishag the Shunammite was attending to him. Bathsheba knelt low and paid homage to the king, and he asked, what do you want? She replied, my lord, you swore to your servant by the lord your god, your son Solomon is to become king after me, and he is the one who is to sit on my throne. Now look, Adonijah has become king, and my lord the king, you didn't know it. He has lavishly sacrificed oxen, fat and cattle, and sheep. He invited all the king's sons, the priest Abiathar, and Joab, the commander of the army, but he did not invite your servant Solomon. Now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, when my lord the king rests with his father's I and my son Solomon will be regarded as criminals.
0: It's pretty, pretty interesting dialogue there, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, it's not even dialogue yet. It's just uh, Bathsheba talking so far.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And what she's saying is just so like, uh, you don't, you didn't know this king, you don't know know what's going on right now uh, are you aware that this is taking place and you know what it's going to do to us and i mean it's it's a great plea um
1: i didn't count how and, many times she said my lord the king it's lord, like the she's king. trying to be really humble and respectful but also yeah. uh, you got to do something <laughs> and i can't believe you didn't know this was happening but you know this this isn't good you need to fix this my lord the king
0: <laughs> that's exactly right yeah there's a lot of respect there a lot of respect there. And and so while she's still making that plea, then you have verse 22. And at that moment, while she was still speaking with the king, the prophet Nathan arrived. And it was announced to the king, the prophet Nathan is here. He came into the king's presence and paid homage to him with his face to the ground. My lord, the king, Nathan said, uh, did you say Adonijah is to become king after me? A- and he is the one who is to sit on my throne? For today, he went down and lavishly sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep. He invited all the sons of the king, the commanders of the army, and the priests of Biathar. And look, they're eating and drinking in his presence, and they're saying, Long live King Adonijah. But he did not invite me, me, your servant, or the priest Zadok, or Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, or your servant Solomon. I'm certain my lord the king would not have let this happen without letting your servant know who will sit on the lord the king's throne after him. So you have that saying, my lord the king, my lord the king. And um, same word, lavishly. And and even the way he says it.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Both use the word lavishly to describe how he's making these sacrifices. It's like he's squandering your oxen.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's really cool the way he even pulls the personal friend card. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, look, you know, but, but he didn't invite me, me, you know, your servant, you know, and he's like, you know, you're, uh, this is, it's me. He didn't even invite me. And I know you wouldn't do this without inviting me, you know? So Mm -hmm. he's, he's pulling the friend card and, uh, and making sure that David, you know, believes his, his story as well, because they're really establishing the testimony of two witnesses here. And that's the important thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Then we get David's response finally in uh, verse 28, picking up. King David responded by saying, Call in Bathsheba for me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king swore an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every difficulty, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, your son Solomon is to become king after me and he is the one who is to sit on my throne in my place. That is exactly what I will do this very day. Bathsheba knelt low with her face to the ground, paying homage to the king and said, May the Lord King David live forever. King David then said, Call in the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada for me. So they came into the king's presence, and the king said to them, Take my servants with you, Have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There, the priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan are to anoint him as king over Israel. You are to blow the ram's horn and say, long live King Solomon. You are to come up after him, and he is to come in and sit on my throne. He is the one who is to become king in my place. He is the one I have commanded to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Amen but uh, Beniah son of Jehoiada uh, replied to the king may the lord the god of my lord the king so affirm it just as the lord was with my lord the king so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David then priest Zadok the prophet Nathan Beniah son of Jehoiada the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down, had Solomon ride on King David's mule, and took him to Gihon. The mule was actually a sign of uh, royalty, by the way. The priest Zadok took the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the ram's horn, and all the people proclaimed, Long live King Solomon. All the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing with such a great joy, that the earth split open from the sound. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, there's something you don't see all the time, right? Right. Like, is that hyperbole or is that like for real, um, that the earth split open from the sound? It's, it's impressive. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, But there's this great rejoicing. but But now you have this problem because you have two groups of people, each with a priest, right? Each with a commander, each with, with people following them, each claiming to be uh, king and being pronounced king in front of a group of people. And that, that's, that's really not good. I mean, that's, that's the opposite of what David had really envisioned with the kingdom and having um, everybody follow God's direction. And, uh, but you see that the difference was that God had appointed Solomon as king through David. Um, and that David had made that promise, um, through the Lord to put Solomon on the throne. And you have Adonijah who says, I will be, I will make myself King. And so you have these two competing wills. Um, and, and now all of a sudden you have two pronounced Kings, one self appointed with the commander of the army, um, in, on his side. And the other one is David's son who's appointed by David. It's a pretty interesting scenario, I think, to have that at the same
1: time. Oh, yeah, it's very dramatic. It's very, you know, <laughs> could be a compelling, you know, TV show or movie. <laughs> <This> drama, <laughs> clash of families, Game of Thrones, if you will.
0: <laughs> the, the original Game of Thrones, I yeah. guess, is what it really is here. Yeah. So in verse 41, uh, Adonijah and all the invited guests who were with him, had heard the noise as they finished eating. And Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn and said, what is, why is the town in such an uproar? And he was still speaking when Jonathan, son of Abiathar the priest, suddenly arrived. And Adonijah said, come in, for you are, on an, for you are an important man and you must be bringing good news. <laughs> well, unfortunately not, Jonathan answered him. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. And with Solomon, the king has sent the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, Beniiah, son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, and they have had him ride on the king's mule. The priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan have appointed him king in Gihon. They have gone up from their rejoicing, and the town has been in an uproar. That's the noise you heard. Solomon has even taken his seat on the royal throne. The king's servants have also gone to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, may your God make the name of Solomon more well known than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed in worship on his bed, and the king went on to say this, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Today he has provided one to sit on my throne, and I am a witness. And then all of Adonijah's guests got up trembling, and went their separate ways. Yeah, that's got to be an awkward moment, right?
1: Yeah, especially for the for the guests. Awkward for Adonijah for sure, for sure. But then all his guests are there, thinking that they're with the future king, and then they realize uh, he didn't actually succeed in what he was trying to do. <laughs> it's just awkward <laughs> and and scary too. Oh, they realize that they've been, you know, supporting. Probably some of them inadvertently, some of them knowingly supporting this, uh, this guy who is trying to make himself king while someone else is actually becoming king <laughs> because Adonijah didn't succeed. Now they're, you know, in trouble. They're going to be in trouble if they're found with this guy who's now going to be seen as, you know, a traitor or treasonous and uh, trying to subvert the king.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, and and that's exactly what it was was a subversion. And remember, part of the curse on on David was that his family would be in turmoil, that there would be this uh, this upheaval and this competition between families. Uh, but but just on a side note, that's not something new to the people we've studied in the scriptures. I mean, there was there was division with Cain and Abel. Um, you have uh, you have comp- Repeating uh, battles with um, Jacob and Esau. I mean, there's all these different uh, battles that you have, Joseph and his brothers. Um, so this tension is a tension that, again, goes back to the garden as much as it does to this promise that God made to David about the, the struggle in his household. Um, because th- this idea of wanting to lead others and to be in charge, as David pointed out earlier, um, of wanting to rule other men as opposed to being ruled by God is part of that, that fall that we had from Genesis. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that we have this. This was a chance for Adonijah to, to make a name for himself, but making a name for oneself was one of the problems that we've also traced through the scriptures. With uh, the Tower of Babel, they were trying to make a name for themselves. It, and and this constant struggle to to make a name for us instead of making a name for God. Um, So we see that played out here, even in the the taking of the throne.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: So let's see how this um, plays out then, what what the consequences are uh, in, we're in verse 50 now, um, coming to the end. Um, Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, So he got up and went to take hold of the horns of the altar. It was reported to Solomon, Look, Adonijah fears King Solomon, and he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon first swear to me that he will not kill his servant with the sword. Then Solomon said, If he is a man of character, not a single hair of his will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he dies. So King Solomon sent for him, and they took him down from the altar. He came and paid homage to the King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, "Go to your home." So he doesn't kill he doesn't kill Adonijah, um, which is which is kind of cool. Um, and we're gonna find out more about him and what happens um, later on in the story. Uh, but for now um we're gonna we're gonna stop there in the story and just talk about just a couple of the point out a couple things um and see what we can can learn from it
0: yeah and i guess we should also do this um the people who were with adonijah even though adonijah was not killed at that point um biathar the priest was banished
1: Mm.
0: um and and he was one of Eli's descendants, and so that goes back to another punishment from God, that God put on on Eli, um, that his descendants would be would be punished or banished from the presence of God. Um, now, so so the, Abiathar,
1: the priest, Eli was the priest who uh, raised Samuel in the temple, and we talked about that back in First Samuel.
0: Yeah, and his sons were wicked. Wicked. James. Yeah. So so. <laughs> this Abiathar being banished was actually goes back to another promise of punishment, um, which is interesting. Um, so Zadok becomes the priest at that point. Um, Joab, who was the leader of the armies for David had picked the wrong side and he was actually killed. Um, he's taken out and replaced by, um, Benaiah. And actually, um, he was killed by Benaiah and then took his place. Um, but that was at the command of, of Solomon at that point. um, mm-hmm. um Shimei was placed under house arrest um, and was exiled and was not allowed to leave his home. Now, Shimei is one we didn't hear about in this story, but in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Shimei is the one that cursed David when his other son tried to usurp the throne, um, and David didn't take him out at that time, but David, some of his final words to Solomon are, you know, watch out for this guy. So Solomon actually um, puts Shimei under house arrest and he's not allowed to leave his house, um, which eventually he does and he gets killed. But that's, you know, it's kind of weird all the way, these stories from the past. So you have the story of Shimei with David is played out through Solomon. You have Joab, who was the commander of the armies, was taken out, and then you have a, a biathar, which goes back to the story of Eli, and so the the, the, um, the book of, of First Kings is going to bring all of these things out because they're all unfinished storylines, uh, unfinished plot lines um, that that he wanted to that basically get wrapped up here. Um, so mm-hmm. So we do have Solomon now coronated as king, right. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's a lot of cool things about his kingship, but like David said, we're not going to go into that this week. We really kind of want to wrap up um, some thoughts, I guess, um, looking at the backstory before we dive into the accomplishments of Solomon.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, continue to look at the life and the the legacy of Solomon that he left behind. Um, So we just got up to where he was introduced as a king, but, we really wanted to take some time to to just remind you of that whole backstory of, of Israel and of all of humanity and their relationship with God uh, leading up to this. Uh, because it, it, to understand the significance of Solomon's rule and all of his accomplishments and what he came to symbolize, it's really important to understand that context in which his reign existed.
0: Yeah, and Solomon, Solomon Solomon was born out of a violent relationship, um, but was blessed by God to be the leader of his people in the place that God gave them and where God himself chose to dwell. And I think that that's an incredible honor that we have to look at in in Solomon's um, life. Um, But but I want to go back to something that David mentioned about us, um, about mankind reigning in the garden Um, so there was this rule and this kingship that goes back to Genesis, um, mankind, you and I were created, um, from the beginning to reign with God And, and we're given that as a command, um, and you know, to even in Genesis and only Kings were given the right to reign. And so you and I were called to a form of kingship. We were created to rule with God, called and placed by God in a specific location Uh, with him to help us lead people to follow him. And so the call of Solomon is very much the same as the call for every one of us. It's what God has created us for. So in Solomon, we have a type of Adam. Um, We have a type of, um, uh, or a prototype of what we should be doing as well. We should be reigning with god in the place he's placed us with in his presence and pointing people to him and i think that that's really uh significant for us to realize that just like it was an honor for solomon to be king um, we have the honor of reigning with god uh in in our present age i think that's pretty cool
1: yeah it's an incredible honor so this particular part of the story the transition between from you know David to Solomon as king it doesn't have maybe as many really practical application points to take away as some other stories or as some other parts of the story Uh, but I think there are just a a few things that we can see as kind of themes that really apply a lot of these things we've talked about um, through other parts of the story as well Um, but first that God is faithful to keep his, his promises. Uh, his promises don't change. He doesn't change. His character doesn't change just because of people and circumstances shifting. Uh, God remains constant through all of that. And we can see that here. And then secondly, uh, the fact that we as believers, when we repent, if we're convicted of sin in our lives and we repent of that, God Not only does he forgive us, like we talked about earlier, that sin is, you know, no longer part of us, but God can still use us and does use us for great things. He doesn't hold our past uh, in our faces. He doesn't bring that up to, you know, cause us to experience guilt and shame um, after we've repented of it. And we see that in how he uses David and and Solomon.
0: Yeah, we also see that he can continuously uses uh, unexpected uh, more humble less honorable people to do his his will um mm. he doesn't look on outward appearances but he looks on the heart where um you know Saul and and Adonijah had the appearance of kings um there there were some heart issues there and the people that God chooses ends up being the the ones that are um the humble uh, the humble ones. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Even in that genealogy that David had us read in the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, the people that you see there, the, the, the Ruth and the Boaz, you know, are, are not the people that you expect, uh, God to be using.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Rahab, another one.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, so that's a lesson that we can take from this. Um, so God is faithful to keep his promises. When we repent, God forgives us and does not hold our past against us. He continually, continuously uses the unexpected, more humble people to do his work. Um, I think the, the last lesson that we, that we um, wanted you to catch from this is that we don't always see the end result of what God is doing in our lifetime, but faithfulness is still rewarded. And, and we need to strive for faithfulness to the mission. You know, the, the promise to Abraham, he did not get to see. And, and Hebrews chapter 11 brings out the, so many men of faith who never got to see the fulfillment of the promise, but were faithful. And God counted them as faithful and rewarded them for faithfulness. And so even though we don't always get to see the, uh, the end result of what God is doing in our lifetime, we need to be faithful um, to follow him and to keep his commands and to, to do the things that bring him honor and glory. Um, So Those are some of the things we wanted you to to catch as we did this overview. We realized that this overview is probably not... um, For some of you, it's going to be like, yeah, I know we've heard this for the last two years. For some of you, it's probably pretty new uh, because you haven't been with us that long. Um, But understand that the the scripture um, is consistent from beginning to end. And the people who are, uh, living out this, who were living out this season in Solomon's life um, were also relying on the Pentateuch and the law and the prophets to guide them. And when we get to the New Testament and we read about uh, the, the, the Jews who were listening to Jesus, they were testing everything against the law and the prophets and what we've been reading and studying, and that helped shape what they were looking for. And when we get to the commands in the New Testament that are for the church, specifically from the book of Acts on, it's not new. It's going back to these things. Uh, It's going back to God's mission and why we were created and what God had designed and God's presence among men and helping restore that relationship between God and people. It's it's a theme that these are themes that carry over from Genesis to Revelation. And we want you to, to understand the scriptures in that holistic perspective and not just to, to grab a verse here because it means something to you and and not understand the context of what it really means to God and his story. Um, I guess it's part of the reason why we want to keep reviewing this and making it a part of our DNA. Um, mm-hmm. Anything you want, want to add on that, David?
1: I don't think so. I think, uh, I think you covered it.
0: Well, and we were we were wrestling with you know do we really go through another review and bring in the past up to this point, and uh, and we both felt it was significant enough to to do that, and we want to continue with the story, but we don't want to do it without um, without looking at it in the context of the bigger picture of the scriptures. Um, but realize that every story, so Solomon's story, is a piece of a bigger picture of God's story. But that also means that every story, including your story and my story, uh, is a piece of the bigger picture of God's story. And so um, we're going to queue up uh, Jessica Gage now, and she is going to share the story of what God has been teaching her and what God's been doing in her life and her testimony. Um, so her story of what God has done in her life and is doing in her life, which is a part of God's bigger picture of his story. So while, you, while um, you
1: get her video, while she gets her video on, um, I just thought of a, an illustration of that point. If you, if you're a Star Wars fan and you're watching The Mandalorian and you see Baby Yoda, you know understanding the significance of Baby Yoda requires you understanding the bigger story and how you know he, uh, how how significant Yoda is to the Star Wars story. If you've never seen any of the other Star Wars anything, then Baby Yoda is just a cute little green guy. Oh. Yeah, but you
0: don't even know that that's Baby Yoda. Like, that's a whole that's separate true. topic.
1: That's just that, that yeah. just popped into my head. Same thing with the you know, like <laughs> Avengers movies. You know why is one gem significant? It's like everything is a piece of a larger story. Uh, yes. Yes.
0: Hi, Jess.
1: I think I might need to unmute her. Oops.
0: All right, Jess, your video is up. Yep, there you go.
2: Okay, well, here's my little bit of the story. Um, My name is Jessica Gage. My husband's Chris. Um, He's not in the video because I wasn't in his video. So this is evens for him. Um, We have two boys, Gatlin and Sam. Um, And I'll start mine. I have it typed out and I'll just read from that. I was raised in a small town in rural Nebraska and attended Sunday school fairly regularly at a non-denominational church building. Sunday school and services served as a social gathering where the topics of salvation, reconciliation, and regeneration were rarely taught. I genuinely thought that because I attended church, I was a good person that was bound for heaven. I based this off the different teachings where the emphasis was placed on, placed on personal works and not salvation. A year after Chris and I got married, we started attending services at the Baptist Church down the road. The first six months of attending Emmanuel Baptist, I was completely overwhelmed as I was being immersed into a healthy church that preached salvation and the need for Christ. I witnessed numerous people give their life to Christ, and to be honest, I was embarrassed and ashamed that I hadn't. My sinful heart and selfish ways were revealed to me through numerous sermon messages. Couples Bible studies, conversations with Chris, and time in God's word. I felt God tugging on my heart and condemn the way that I was living. I knew I needed to change my ways, live my life differently, and in line with what he had taught me thus far. I kept rejecting him over and over. Our church had hosted a women's retreat night, and it was that night that I asked Jesus to rescue me. Since I accepted the gift of salvation from Jesus, I've continued to learn and grow in my faith. Chris and I were able to be part of a church plant that turned revitalization while we were stationed in Oklahoma. It was there that we got to, again, be part of a healthy church family, grow in our faith as a married couple, raise our boys in truth-filled teachings, and serve the body and community. God moved us to New York in January of 2018, and has continued to bless us in each season with people we love and opportunities to grow as a Christian family. God sent Jesus to die on the cross to make a way back to himself. And because I've accepted the wonderful gift of salvation, I look forward to eternal life with my Lord and Savior.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Jess.
0: Yep, thank you.